Join me if you would in the uh, book of Ruth, chapter number, chapter number four. And uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, uh, we're going to call this the final chapter. The final chapter. Every, I guess every book has a final chapter, right? And, um, and of course, if there's a final chapter, you know what that means, right? It means there were some chapters before that, correct? And so, unless it's a one-chapter book, you know? But I, I thought about this as I was reading through Ruth chapter number four and studying this week. Am I good now? You want to? There you go. Uh, began to think about the fact how <clears throat> sometimes uh, in, in life, you know, life situations have a final chapter. Did you ever, did you ever notice that? You know, where you, you know, it's almost kind of like you turn the page and you get into another chapter of your life, you know. And I, I like it when you come to certain life situations. And it's the final chapter of that, you know, and then you, you often heard this said, right, you know, we're in the next chapter of our lives, you know, and I'm not sure how, you know, how rapid that moves along, but I'm glad at times that we're able to turn the page and uh, kind of get into a different chapter in our lives, right? So chapter number four, uh, I want to do this. I want to kind of walk the story back just for a moment. I won't take a lot of time on that. But I think it's important to remind ourselves, especially if this is the first Wednesday night you've joined us and we're studying through the book of Ruth. And when we began in chapter number one, if you remember, we found Ruth um, in Moab. She's a Moabite, right? And uh, there in, in her hometown of Moab, she meets, she meets a, a family who were seeking kind of, you know, I guess, refugee status because back in their hometown, if you remember, uh, there was a famine. Right. So here's Ruth uh, in her hometown and she she meets a family from uh, Bethlehem. In fact, she meets the, the the wife who had just been widowed. Right. Her name was Naomi and she had two sons. And, you know, the story, we studied it out. Uh, eventually, she marries one of the sons. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the span of time was, uh, but it doesn't seem to be too long. Um, after she got married, that he died. And so now we, thank you, brother, I appreciate that. We ready to go? All good? Here we go, great. Um, and so um, now, 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 you know, she, she's still in Moab, and now she's a widow. Um, eventually, of course, you, you know what happens. She um, clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and, and makes certain comments, you know, comments like she says this to her. She said, uh, your people will be my people and your God will be my God and, and your lifestyle will be my. So she adopts the lifestyle of her mother-in-law, right? That's, that's rather interesting. Uh, in the process of time, she moves back to Bethlehem with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and uh, they settle down and she realizes that, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, you know? And so she goes to work in a certain field and she's gleaning you know, whatever the reapers leave behind and comes to find out that when she goes home and Naomi asks her, you know, so how was your day? What field did you glean in? And she says to her mother-in-law, well, I was gleaning in the field of a fellow named Boaz. And I think if we were there, maybe we'd have noticed that Naomi's uh, countenance kind of perked up because then Boaz was a near kinsman. And so uh, here's Ruth now. She's working in a field of someone who's a relative. 
she's not doing anything at all but being Ruth when all of a sudden this Boaz fella uh, is attracted to her. Right? He takes notice of her. You know, he comes back from a business trip and says to his supervisor there, here's that young lady. And the supervisor gives him the 411. You know what that is, right? That's old, that's, that's old school, isn't it? I don't know what they call it today, but gives her, you know, he kind of updates her. And, 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 and we're told that he's really attracted to her, but not so much her beauty, although I'm sure she was a beautiful woman. He was attracted to her character. He was attracted to her integrity. He was attracted to her loyalty. In fact, he mentions that, how, how she was so loyal to uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, you know. And so uh, he invites her out to lunch. They go to Panera. Had a cheddar and broccoli soup together um, down there in Sarasota, Lil. That's where they were in Florida, you know. And uh, and then after that, you remember after that, kind of life went on, you know. So Boaz, he sees her, they're talking. Come sit with me. He feeds her, sends her home with some food. But then life goes on, and that's when the mother-in-law Naomi decides we, we need to get we 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 need to be a little aggressive here. So she develops that plan, and she steps in. Uh, Ruth eventually ends up lying at the foot of Boaz. You know who are you? <laughs> you know he wakes up in the middle of the night. What in the world? You know what's going on here? She then says to him, "My name is Ruth. You're a near kinsman. Be my redeemer." It's pretty much what she said to him. You know, you're a near kinsman, marry me, it's your responsibility, right? Boaz says, and this is in Hebrew, I, I studied that again today, he said, okie dokie. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's what we need to do. Uh, and so he commits to redeeming Ruth, right? We've we seen that last week. However, he reminds Ruth that there is a nearer kinsman. He's a near kinsman. But he says to Ruth in chapter number three, we finished that last week, there's a nearer kinsman. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I give him an opportunity. I think her heart sunk at that moment in time. But he said to her, you know, I need to make sure he has the opportunity to redeem you, right? And that's where the story picks up in chapter number four. You have your Bibles ready? Chapter number four, verse number one. Notice what the Bible says. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsmen of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, <laughs> I like this, ho, such a one. Right? You don't see, I don't know, I, I, I don't hear that in the Hebrew. Ho, such a one. You know, I think maybe we say, hey, hey, dude, is your, what's your name? And, uh, and so he said, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Let's take a look at verse number one. A couple of interesting things pop up that I, I just want to comment on. The first thing I want you to note is this. Boaz went up to the gate. He went to the gate. Not to get too deep in this because I got a lot of things I want to cover here in this lesson tonight. Uh, that would be a reference, if we put that into our economy, it, it, it's where they conducted business, you know, at the gate. We would say maybe it was the assembly hall or it was the town council. You know, we're trying to get our parking lot done, so we need to go to a zoning board hearing, right? So for Old Testament, in the Old Testament economy, when you were going to make contracts, when you were going to do business of this sort, you know, the business of redeeming and so on and so forth, you went to the town gate, and that's where the town elders were, 
and you presented your case to them. So here he is, he's sitting there, he's at the gate, and guess what happens? It just so happened. It just so happened. I mean, Ruth just so happened to be sowing or gleaning in the field of Boaz. Just so happens that the nearer kinsman, as Boaz is sitting, it just so happens that the nearer kinsman comes by at that very moment in time. What happens is Boaz reaches out to the man and begins to share his proposal. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit you down here. And now he's going to present his case. Verse 3, he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, sell the parcel of land, which our brother Elimelech, our relative Elimelech, it was Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise these, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, what do you say? Okay, I'll redeem it. I'll redeem it. Now, I think if Ruth was there, she'd have probably protested. You know, and she'd probably said, no, please don't. You know? But what Boaz does is interesting. The very next thing he says in verse number five is, what day thou buyest the field of the, of, the, of the hand of Naomi, thou must also of Ruth the Moabite, you know, you got to marry her. So what he's saying is this, Ruth comes with the deal. You know, the fellow says, hey, man, I'll take that land. I'll buy that land. And Boaz says, okay, good. However, if you buy the land, you got to take Ruth the Moabite as well. She comes with it. And notice how he responds in verse number six. And the kinsman said, I can't. I can't for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. And so in this text of scripture, what happens is this. Boaz says to the man, pretty much, he says, uh, if you step up, I'll step out. But if you don't, I'll step in. Did you get that? Right? And the man says, I can't because if I do, then my own family will lose their inheritance. Go ahead and redeem my, my, my portion. Look over, if you would, verse number uh, 8, verse 7. Pick it up, verse 7. Now this was the manner in, in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and, and, and concerning changing. For to conf uh, confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Huh? That's a strange way of doing business. But that's the way they would sign a contract. You take off your stinky, smelly shoe. And therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And again, that's Old Testament, that's Old uh, Testament uh, commentary. As you read on down in verse number nine, Boaz begins to consult with the elders and he makes sure they understand this is a binding contract. Do you see that? Verse number 10, he talks about Ruth and he says that I, I, I purchased her as my wife and I want to raise up, you know, dead upon, you know, uh, in, in, you know, uh, for inheritance and all the people, verse 11, that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make, now look at this, here's a prayer. He said, the Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah. Let me challenge you to do something, if you, if you feel led to. Let me challenge you to look in the book of Ruth at all the prayers that are mentioned. They're not, they're not real long, drawn out, put you to sleep kind of prayers. They're not fancy. They're not eloquent. They're not doctrinal. They're just simple 
requests, right? Let me ask you a question. How many of us kind of pray all day long? I mean, just always in the, you know, just get in your car, drive down the road. Hey, Lord, what's up? How you doing? You just, right? I mean, it doesn't need to be on your knees, eyes closed, posture's not important. It's just communication, right? And I appreciate it because right here, I mean, just out of nowhere, all of a sudden the elders begin to pray. The Lord make Ruth like Rachel and Leah. Let, them be, let her be fruitful. Well, I'll tell you what, that was a prayer that was answered. We'll see that next week. And the story goes on in chapter 4, verse 13, down to verse number 22. And what you see there then is the marriage and life of Ruth and Boaz. And we'll look at that next time. Okay? We'll look at that when we trace it next time. That's the story. And I'm sticking to it. But there are some valuable life lessons in that story that I want to point out for us tonight. Okay? And I think we can get through them if you be a good listener. I'll be a fast talker. Okay? Look at this lesson right here. Look at that lesson. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory. Take that in for a second. The life of the godly, so I'm talking about us, is not a straight line to glory. Now, I know you're aware of that. And I know you're aware of this, that God has never promised that you and I, once we get saved, will never face storms. There's no, there's no promise like that in the Bible. Wouldn't it be great? Come on, let's just be honest. Wouldn't it be great that if you just got saved, everything was just hunky-dory? I mean, no more sickness, no more pain, right? No more, we're talking about heaven now, no more partying over there. Huh? Wouldn't it be awesome? Every financial need was met. Huh? I mean, if you had a headache, all you had to do was just touch your head and say, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be thou removed and it's gone. Huh? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if you can give somebody else a headache? <laughs> That's just not the way it works. There in the Bible, you'll never find promises made of that kind of an existence. However, he does promise to be with us in the midst of the storm. Isn't that right? So he didn't promise no storms, but he promised when the storms come, I'll be there. All you got to do is look for me. I don't forget this. Every time I, I, every time I think about that, I think about this. One day I was sitting in my office a number of years ago. I was in a meeting with a couple of, we had a school, I had, had the school board in my meeting. I was talking with them. It was a pretty important meeting. When all of a sudden I got a phone call from somebody who should have been in the meeting. And it was one of my secretaries, one of my college secretaries. And I, I said, excuse me for a second, fellas, I need to take this. And I picked up the phone, and as I picked up the phone, the sister was on the phone, and she was, she was in a bad way. She was crying. And, and she just started to, you know, and, and she couldn't get it out. And, and all I can say to her at that very moment was this, and I promise you this is exactly what I said to her. I said, sister, right now stop what you're doing and just look for Jesus. I promise you he's there. And I just paused with her for a second, and I said, just keep looking for him. He's there. I'll talk to you soon. And I hung up. And that was the best counsel I can give her at that very moment. Right? And then I thought about it after my meeting, and that I didn't come from me. I came from God. Because I was in this meeting. My mind was on dollars and cents and figures and numbers. And, but the problem is this. Sometimes when we're in the midst of it, we don't see him. We see the waves, and we see the wind, and we see the current, and we see the... 
And if we just look for him, it changes everything. You don't look too impressed by that statement. But I guarantee you it's true. It'll help us. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, they had their share of disappointments, right? I mean, life was hard for these two girls, no doubt about it. However, they were not forgotten. And even though life was not a straight line for either, listen to this, they got to where God wanted them to be. Look here, life, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory. However, God gets us there. God will get you there. We just trust Him, right? Just wait on Him. Look for Him in the midst of the storm. I find that lesson there, life lesson in the book of Ruth. Uh, look, look at another one. The past is not our final destination. Now, we're talking about Ruth here, right? We're in the book of Ruth. The past is not our final de destination. When, when, when we meet Ruth, she's, you know, she's in Moab. She's a Moabite in her home country of Moab. That's where we met her, correct? Uh, the average Israelite would look at the Moabites as being outcast. Outcast. In fact, the Israelites, the Jews, have a word for such people. They call them Goya. You know what that is? Goya? Dog. Just outcast. The lowest form of life. Huh? Yeah. That's what they would that's that's the way they would have looked. Ruth had absolutely no right at all to be with Naomi. None whatsoever. Uh, but listen to this statement. Everything changes when we place our trust in God. Did you hear that? The past is not our final destination. And even though we all have a past and we can look back and we see things that have you know, it's happened to us and we've gotten beaten up and we were what we were. I like this statement. Everything changes when we place our trust in God. You ever sing that little song, Nothing is Impossible? You ever, you ever, you ever sing that? How many know that song? Nobody knows that? You know that? Aaron, come up and sing it for us. I'm just kidding. Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Right? And I know this. I know, you know, what what we were, what we used to be, is no longer important once you trust the Lord. Years ago, I heard, I heard a preacher make this statement. I preached a message about it, and I kind of coined the phrase as if it was mine. Do you ever hear this phrase? If you if you is what you was, then you ain't. Do you ever hear that? If you is what you was, then you ain't. That that is not true of someone who has a genuine conversion, right? I mean, someone who's really, really has it. Someone who's got, really gotten saved. And by the way, can I share this with you? Proverbs 22, verse number 6. Anybody know that verse offhand? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up. There you go. Somebody was mumbling. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Right? May I suggest, may I suggest that's not just about ch children? Huh? May I suggest that sometimes people get saved and they stray, but if they genuinely got converted, they come back? You know how many times I've had people sit in my office who are now up in years, and they tell me the story of, you know, their backslidden years, and they, they sit there and they just say, you know, I, I, I'm doubting my salvation, and I remind them, but look where you are right now. I, I'm not the chief of police. I'm not the coroner. 
I'm not the attorney. I'm a pastor. You're sitting in a pastor's office. We have the Bible open. Train up a child the way she go. And every once in a while, we get away from it. But our past doesn't need to be our final destination. Are you with me? All right, look at another. Doing the right thing often takes great sacrifice. Again, we're talking about Ruth, right? Doing the right thing often takes great sacrifice. You know, it's not easy. Doing right, doing, doing right is not easy as a Christian. We live in a world that just doesn't make it easy. You know, we live in a society that's not user-friendly. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, nowhere I go, you know, the stores I go to, they're not usually playing Christian music. They're not playing all we're Christian soldier. They're playing some head-banging music that I can't wait to get my apples and get out of there. Now, I don't buy apples. I'll be honest. I should have said cupcakes. Now, I eat healthy. I'm a health freak, right, Steve? By the way, he did good today. He had a salad for lunch, not, not the cheesesteak that I had. Just teasing. Uh, so, but, you know, when you think about doing it right, it's not the easiest Christian, right? However... You think about you think about Ruth and, and and think about this now. She leaves her, her Naomi said, just just go ahead back to your family. Go back to your family. And she says, No, I'm, I'm not going to go back. I'm going with you. I'm going to cling to you. Your people, my people, your God, my God, your lifestyle, my lifestyle. I'm, I'm going with you. <laughs> and that took a lot of sacrifice, you know, to refuse to return to her family. That took a lot of sacrifice. And I thought about this, doing right is not always easy, but it's always right. It's always right. Years ago, one of my very first Sunday school campaigns that we had in our church years ago, we called it this, we called it a do right campaign. You know, we had big signs posted everywhere, do right. And we had, we had a, a theme song, do right, oh, do right, everywhere you go, do right, oh, do right, with everyone you know, do right, oh, do right, as you go along, doing right is never wrong. Right? Remember that, Donna? That was back in 1989 or 90, a long time ago. A long time ago. Do right, oh, do right. And we would sing that. Six weeks, Kevin, man, we had that Sunday school campaign going on. Just do right. Just do right. It's not easy, but it's right. Right? Just do right. Here's another lesson. We must be people of character even when we think no one is watching. Right? I mean, Ruth had no idea. She was just out working. And what, what I, I like, I like when, when Boaz said to the supervisor, so who is that? And the supervisor says, that's the Moabite, Naomi's daughter-in-law. She's been out here working. Man, I think he said this in the Hebrew. She's been working her tail off. She hasn't even taken, she's just taking these little, you know, micro breaks. I mean, she's right back at it. She's a hard worker. Are you with me? Someone said this, you are what you are when you are alone, when no one else is watching, or when you think no one else is watching. You know, when you're in your car, you know, the music, you know, when you're in the store, fellas, you know, and that beautiful girl walks by, and all of a sudden you can't take your eyes off her, and you think she's really enjoying you gawking her. You know? By the way, let me tell you something, she's not. Most women will find that to be appalling, not appealing. Amen? And isn't it amazing that when you're doing that, somebody's watching you? It always grieves me when I see men gawk women. And I want to say to them, yo, dude, put your eyes back in your head. 
and I don't feel like getting punched in the face, you know, right? Listen to this. Character's not built in a day. You don't build character in a day. You don't build character based upon one good decision. That's not what happens in the, in the book of Ruth. You look at the book of Ruth, here's what you find. Her character was built, you know, uh, by making a series of good decisions. You know, one good decision leads to another good decision, correct? And that's what you find here. Ruth made a series of good decisions over time. And, and Boaz notes that and he's drawn, he's attracted to her because of that, her character. And so we need to be people of character, even when we think no one is watching. And then look at this one here. God uses, excuse me, unlikely people for his purpose. Again, we're looking at Ruth, right? You know this about Ruth. She was poor. She was hurting. She was an outcast. She was a widow. (laughs) Strike, 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 strike. I mean, she was just striking out at every level. Grew up in an evil country as an enemy of Israel, uh, childless. She moves to a foreign land where she knew nobody but her mother-in-law. Struggled with poverty, right? Think about it. No one would have ever thought that God would have chosen this foreign girl, you know, and her bloodline to bring forth our Redeemer. But when you read the whole story, that's what happens. See that next time with the kinsman redeemer, you know, and how they have a child whose name is Obed, who has a son whose name is, who has a son whose name is, and when you trace it, comes to a fellow name, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Ruth, Boaz, how about that? When you trace the scriptures, pay attention right here. All throughout the Bible, you find evidence of God using unlikely people to fulfill His purpose. Don't, don't you see that? I mean, from Ab- think about it, from Abraham to Moses, unlikely, right? Abraham was not born in the preacher's house. Abraham's father was an idol maker. His name was Terah. Moses, think about Moses. Grew up in Pharaoh's house. You know, goes floating down the the river. You know, in a little basket. Right? Who would ever thought? You go, you go from David to Paul. Here's David. I was reading again the story over in 2 Samuel where you know David sins with Bathsheba. And you know, when you really take your time and read through scriptures and you you kind of know who you're you're reading about there because you read all these wonderful things about David, and all of a sudden, man, here he is committing adultery and then murder by proxy. And and then the next chapter or two, he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. Right? Man, alive. But then you see how God uses him. God uses unlikely people for his... Paul, Saul of Tarsus, you know, trying to stamp out Christianity. And here he meets the Lord Jesus Christ on this road and has a confrontation with him, saves him. Paul becomes the greatest, you know, missionary Christian. Amen? God uses unlikely people. And in a more contemporary setting, God uses you and me. God uses you and me. Isn't that amazing how he can use us? Think about it. Unlikely people. Huh? I remember when my friends, years ago, it's been a few years back now, but when my friends heard that I got saved and gave my life to the Lord and was called to preach, I mean to tell you, they laughed for a month. 
What? You? You gotta be kidding. What, what, what are you scheming now? What is your angle now? What are you trying to do now? You just trying to get on TV to make money? And... Why? Because I wasn't born into a preacher's family. Family was Catholic. You know, my dad, when I was coming up, my dad didn't go to church. My mother didn't go to church. We weren't born again. They didn't get saved till later in life. I didn't get saved till I was almost 20 years old. You know, grew up in the city, city of Philadelphia. You know, I got all the, I got all the, all the scars on me, you know, of growing up as a teenager in the city of Philadelphia, you know, but man, I'll tell you why God uses unlikely people, James. Isn't that right? People like you and I unlikely. Yes. On purpose, without a doubt. And that's because he receives all the glory and honor. Amen. And so what a story. Story continues in chapter number four, verse 13 on down. And we won't, we won't trace that tonight. We'll stop here because we've been going late every Wednesday night. We'll stop there, but we'll, we'll pick it up next time. But let me ask you this before we close the book. Let me ask you this. Are you ready maybe to turn the page in your life? Are you ready for that next chapter? Huh? The only thing I can encourage you to do is be faithful right where you are. If you're just faithful right where you are, God will bless that. God will bless that. You know, we go through these seasons, these chapters, you know, right? And every life situation has a final chapter, you know, and then you go into the next life situation, right? Just be faithful where you are. God will bless that. God will honor that. You'll be better for it. Amen? Praise the Lord, the book of Ruth. We got, we have one more, at least one more lesson in the book of Ruth, and uh, we'll look at the kinsman redeemer. You know, there were certain qualifications in order to be a kinsman redeemer. If Donna was, you know, in the in the situation of of uh, of Ruth, and I just meant I fell in love with Donna. Well, I love her. I can't live without her. And I go down to the to the front office and say, you know, hey, I want to redeem Donna. I would have to meet certain qualifications. And I said, no, I just I, I love her. I love her. I can't live without her. Too bad. You don't meet the qualifications. I'll give you more money. More money's not going to do it. Huh? And so Boaz had to meet certain qualifications in order to be the kinsman redeemer. And you know what he's a type of? You know what he's a picture of? The Lord Jesus Christ. And now Jesus had to meet certain qualifications in order to redeem us from the, from the market of sin, slave market of sin, right? So we'll take a look at that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather on this, this Wednesday night, this midweek. We're thankful for a midweek service where we can pull away from the hustle and bustle of life, the difficulties that sometimes we're presented, and just know we can go to an oasis, a place where we find fellowship and commonality, where we can read scripture and have Bible study and have prayer and sing hymns and, and just focus in upon you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Open Bible. Thank you for the way you've blessed it, this great church over the years, and what you're doing in it today. And we pray your continued guidance and direction upon our lives. Dismiss us tonight with your blessing. I pray as folks come from all different directions, the teenagers and the young people, and as we all converge in the parking lot, keep us safe, get us to our destination safely, give us a great end to the week. Looking forward to a great outdoorsman night in a few weeks, and I pray that you would bless our church to be a great testimony again in this community. May we see people saved and lives touched and changed as a result of what we do here at Open Bible. We'll give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.